This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. The name sounds familiar because it is where my podcast studio is held. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. And since we can't get any of the local businesses to sponsor what we do here, I figure I'll sponsor the podcast. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet somewhere. I can do this in a basement somewhere. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery, and I can do this podcast. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. You know, we've had a lot of amazing success stories that keep me so filled with gratitude that I do this. We're here all day long running meetings all day long because we want to help as many people as we can. And even when we help one, that's the biggest victory in the world. And that's how I feel right now. So if you can help out what we do here, then that would be amazing. You know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me. And we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. Yeah, that's your real name is Saren. Yes. Okay. No, I wasn't sure because sometimes people have names on like Facebook, like Serendipity. You know what I mean? That like that makes sense. Is your name like based on that? No. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you changed it or you know what I mean. Like I don't know. No, my mom. Uh, the most popular names of 1989 were Sarah and Karen. So she called me Saren, and what's cool about it is I really love literature and English and writing and all that. And I was like, at first I hated it because I couldn't find my name on a T-shirt or a key ring or a coffee mug or anything like that. Yeah. And then I started playing with it, and I was like, wait a minute, I'm Serendipity. I'm Serenity. I'm Serengeti. I'm Serenade, you know? And I could, I started playing with my name. I was like, hey, wait, this is kind of cool, you know? And I, and I found the love for my name. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that that was, like, one of the first things that I was going to ask you was, like, I wonder if her name is, like, her name. Because I, I you know, people put fake names all the time on social media. And then, um, you know, but then the other day when I, like, reached out to you to, like, do this, you had posted about being in a meeting. And you had mentioned yourself in third person. And you had said, Siren, in third yeah. person, t- telling the story. And I'm like... Well, they wouldn't have called her that in an AA meeting based on her Facebook name if it wasn't her real name, you yeah. know. So like, I'm doing all this in my head, like trying to like figure it out. And I was like, "Fuck it, I'm just going to ask her." So, yes, yeah, that is so, my name. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the show, um, Siren. I appreciate that. Um, that's an awesome name. I can always appreciate a good name. Um, I always said um, if. I had kids. I wanted to name my son Sir. Like his first name be Sir. Like his middle name be William. This way, like he would sound like royalty all the time. Like his name would be like Sir William Dokes. Like That's put a se- put put a 17th at the end or something like that. You can do whatever you want in a birth certificate. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, I'm the fourth. Like my wife's like, you can't do that. I'm like, yes, you can. You can write whatever you want. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I just want to just imagine like him being like in like first second grade and the teacher being like raise your hand sir 
like <laughs> yelling at him to raise his hand, but still calling him sir. That's like, awesome. even though I wouldn't be there for the payoff, just I'd appreciate that, you know. Um, anyway, <laughs> like I said, welcome to the show. Um, so what is your clean date, Siren? My clean date is technically August 28th, 2021. Okay. Did you have a relapse? So I had a massive relapse right around COVID and, uh, I lost almost two years, but I didn't really lose it. So I've been off of the meth since May 29th, 2020. My last drink, which was a one-time relapse was June 13th, 2021. And then marijuana has been a problem for me, and I've been staying clean since August 28th of this year as well. It's okay. been a progress, not a perfection for sure. Yeah, yeah, hence the name here too, you know what I mean? And and I te- is, the, is the cannabis, what state are you in? I'm in Texas. Okay, so it's not no. medical. No. <laughs> it's not medical. No. I was going to give you a little, like, little pass, you know, not a pass, but you know what I mean, like. Uh, that's well, why I like love having medical states, you know, because really, I have like what I used was Delta eight, which was not near as intoxicating. Yeah. You oh, know? no, it definitely is not. It's just not. It's not real weed. I call it diet weed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like mids. It's like yeah. mids back in the day. You know, it's definitely not like getting like the good shit. It's like getting mids. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've I've used cannabis in my recovery the entire time. Yeah. Um. Fun fact. I went to a rehab called called High Sobriety. Like my rehab is called High Sobriety. It's in Los Angeles, and it teaches people how to change a relationship with cannabis. So I haven't my relationship with cannabis. It went from me smoking it all the time to it would be here and there, very rarely, and it would be used in small amounts medicinally instead of me just getting off my ass. It was just the small amount to chill and that's I have, yeah. I'm relaxing. I'm an ex method. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, especially for meth. Like, you know, I have a sponsee that uses cannabis and his drug of choice is meth and 15 years. He was an addict up until 31. He got sober and he just celebrated three months for the first time since he was a teenager, you know? <laughs> so yeah, he's using cannabis but guess what? He hasn't had a drink since the 4th of July and hasn't used meth since two weeks before that. So, you know, yeah, he's using cannabis, but his life is not manageable anymore. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, everyone always says, admitting it's the first step, bullshit. Finding out what's unmanageable in your life is the first step. Yeah. Finding out what makes your life unmanageable is the first step, in my opinion. You know, the whole, you know, admitting it is the first step. People say that who've never been through the steps. You know, yeah. people have actually been through the steps, know that the first step is about finding what's unmanageable in your life. So if things like cannabis are making my life unmanageable, I'm not going to worry about it. I drank in my recovery. And so my clean date and sober date are different, really. You know what I mean? Almost like yours. Like, I haven't done medicine since, and I haven't drank since. And for yep. me, like I haven't like my sober and clean and sober date is two twenty nine leap day of last year, twenty twenty. 
nice. that I haven't had a drink or, you know, drug. But I still haven't had drugs since, you know, April 2018. That's awesome. But that was still. my original sober date was April 30th, 2018 off of methamphetamines. <laughs> oh, shit. And Mine was April 25th. Before my two years, COVID hit. And I was like, zombies are coming. Fuck it. And I was like, I can do it this one time. And it turned into a two-month relapse. And hell and misery back guarantee. I know that much. And I haven't touched it since May 29th again. I was like, no, no, I'm good. I got enough recovery in me that going back to that old life for even a small amount of time, it was unattractive to me. I got enough of this in me that I wanted to do this more. I wanted to be the better version of myself more than I wanted to be that person or feel that way. I can't feel that way anymore. I don't want to anymore. And not like, wow. But I do do strict things every single day to make yep. sure that I stay good. These yeah. are my three books. And then I use a Bible app every single morning. And then at night, I read as well. Yeah. And that's the thing is too, like, I feel like whenever, when you like your relapse, like for example, um, that is like whenever we relapse going into our drug of choice, it's like getting back into a relationship with an abusive ex. Yes. Where, you know, you think of the good times and forget about the bad times and then you get back into it and you're like, shit, what did I do this for? And then you want to get back into your relationship with the good person that was in your life, a.k.a. recovery. So you know how, like, if you get back into a relationship with somebody, it's not starting over. It's continuing where you left off. Yeah. It's, It's the same thing for recovery and relapse. When you get into a relapse, you jump right back in where you left off. It's yeah. not the first time doing the drug again. You know more. You know more people. You know more things. Same thing for recovery, though. When you get back into recovery, you can jump in with a full head of steam of, I know what I need to do. I know I need to take suggestions. I know I need to shut the fuck up and listen. I know that I can't do this on my own. And I know that I need help with it. You know, These are all things that you need to tell yourself when you're sitting down now because – before it's like no no I want to go back because zombies are coming everyone's dying I know COVID's happening I don't know what's gonna happen I might as well be high for it and then you're like oh wait COVID it's bad but maybe zombies aren't coming yeah yeah I was like the only zombie that showed up was uh me all zombified from being dope brained now who were you living with during COVID when that happened when you decided like I'm gonna you know, chase some zombies. So I was actually living with myself and, um, I had, I had gone so gung ho into the program that I'd made the the program my life. Well, at that time, everything stopped and I stopped going to meetings. I stopped talking to my sponsor and I started hanging out with some new people and I moved to a totally different place than where I'm from. I, pl- I changed everything, people, places, things, every tiny thing, I changed it. I did go really gung-ho, like NA sober is what they call that. NA clean, and then there's AA sober, that's what they call that. And uh, Or at least here they do anyway. And uh, so I started slipping back into the old patterns. I was finding the same people, just different faces as yep. before. And uh, Same personalities. 
Yeah, well, you will find yourself no matter where you go. I've proven this from here all the way up to Pennsylvania. That's like, where I'm at. We're in Pennsylvania. Oh, oh crap. <laughs> I'm number one most wanted in Westmoreland County still. Westmoreland? Yeah. Is that Pittsburgh? Okay, yeah, that's out west. Okay, I'm out east. I'm out. I, I'm from outside of Philly, but a lot of my using days were around Lancaster area, and I was driving from there to South Jersey an hour and two hour two hours each way to get pills, yeah. and then drive back again for like three years. And I mean, I'm from South Jersey. I lived in North Carolina in my addiction. Lived in Massachusetts, North Carolina. I lived. Where'd you live? Uh, Matthews, which was just below Charlotte. Okay, I was in Durham. Um, that was in 2015, and then it was way too hot, and the bathroom controversy was going on down there at the time. I was like, I gotta get the fuck away from you Republicans. I can't be here anymore. <laughs> so I had to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> I was getting way. I was I was an alcoholic. You know what I mean? So like, mm-hmm. I was a pillhead, but I was a cokehead, and I was at the bar five six nights a week and doing a lot of coke. I did a lot of coke in North Carolina, more coke than I did anywhere else. And I would get into arguments. It was right after my fiance died. And I would get into these arguments with people. I was looking for fights. I was looking to unload. You know what I mean? I wasn't my best self at all in North Carolina. I was just looking to escape at all. Like, I moved, and then my fiance killed herself three days later. So, like, I was not good. You know? So I was like, I'm going to drink hard. Yeah. You know? (laughs) And just try to fight everybody. I did that. I did that for a while in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I just drank my misery. Uh, it was so bad that the cops, one day I was walking down the road and I was headed to the bar and uh, I was sober at this point. Cause I hadn't gone to the bar yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the cops pulled me over. They you were like, sober. you just weren't drunk yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just wasn't drunk yet. I, mean, I don't know about the sober. I was definitely not in sober mentality, but the yeah. cops pulled me over and they're like, Miss Sarah, you're sober. And I was like, what do you, who are you? And they're like, we take you home almost every single night. You walk up and down these streets crying and screaming and belligerent drunk. And I'm like, and you haven't put me in jail? They're like, no, we just take you home and drop you off. I'm like, oh, well, thank you. I might need your service again tonight. <laughs> it was freaking terrible. Um, they did end up. Never landed in California? Not yet. Not no, that's, that's where I got sober. That's where I got sober was California. But still, yeah, I'm in the middle of the mountains right now in Pennsylvania, up like in the middle of nowhere. We're only known like we have a college here and meth is rampant in our area because of live in the rural area. I mean, yeah, you know you how it is. Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. House is exploding in the newspaper all the time and shit. You yeah. know. Um, so when did you find drugs? Let's, let's rewind. Let's go back. When did you get into drugs or drinking? I was exposed to them at a young age by my parents. Uh, my mom is an addict, alcoholic. My dad is considered a, the class of heavy drinker, but he's one of those who can drink his six pack a day and then go to bed. My mom is not, she's full blown. So when I was about two years old, she thought it was cute to watch a little kid get on the table and drink the beers and dance and be goofy. So really I was exposed at a really young age, but when I started venturing on myself, I was about 10, 11 years old and I was smoking weed and um, 
And the harder things came when I was 14, back when they had the curved pipe, not the pillow, you know, the good dope days. You know? Yeah. Are, are you, are you an only child or the oldest? So that is another crazy thing. Uh, I was pretty much raised as an only child because I was my father's only child for 14 years. Okay. My mom had uh, five other daughters. I have sister cousins even, and uh, she wait, was very. What are now, sister? Wait, what are sister cousins? <laughs> so Texas, sister cousins. You know. <laughs> well, okay, so I got a Ken- Texas Kentucky family mixed here, all right. But uh, <laughs> uh, sister cousins are my mom married my dad's brother and made three girls. Oh, okay, you're actually the second person who has that. Yeah. The, I, I've inter- I, many. <laughs> yeah, I, I, inter- I interviewed a guy in North Carolina. His dad passed away when he was one. And when his dad passed away, um, his uncle started like taking care of his mom. And then his mom ended up marrying his uncle. And now his brother is his cousin. Yeah, so, that's yeah, kind of yeah. almost because they do that in the Bible a lot, too. It's called a redeemer. <clears throat> Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see. Oh, wait. Wait. So that's what Church of Redeemer means? The Redeemer, yeah. Although Christ is our ultimate Redeemer, that's what would happen. Is uh, oh. Somebody died. Like, say your wife's died And then somebody else steps in. Sister. Or, yeah. And or back when that, and that makes sense because so back funny. in those olden days, they were all like in fucking villages and shit. And they, all they had was like family of yeah. cousins or whatever so that makes sense i mean it's not like nowadays you can just hop on tinder and find someone new <laughs> yeah. never done that i mean that's a yeah if i get back out there and start my old shit i will <laughs> oh god that's how i found my wife we met on tinder yeah so you you never know and my brother i forget what app it was on but it was on an app that he found his wife so i know that you know it works you know it works if you work it right <laughs> so <laughs> So I I was 11 years old when I started drinking. I started drinking Captain and Coke when I was 11. And when I was 12, somebody I knew died. And that's when I started drinking to self-harm, to, like, take away the bad feelings. When did you start using to take away bad feelings as, like, a crutch that you knew that, like, I'm feeling bad. I want to feel good. That has been always. I've had a very rocky life. My dad's been a stable rock, okay? But my mom kind of threw me into a lot of things. I went through um, child molestation. I went through foster care. Uh, she kind of dropped us off in a foster home and drove away when I was like 12. So really, the first time I started using to calm down was a cigarette, believe it or not. Uh, I was about 10 years old, and I noticed mom was angry. And she was like, I just need a minute. And she went outside and she lit her cigarette and I watched her calm down. And I was like, hmm. huh. So I stole two of her cigarettes and I smoked them and I knew how to inhale. Yeah, it kind of gagged me a little bit, but I smoked those two cigarettes and I got a nicotine high. I was like, oh, I get it. So, Don't you wish you felt that way on every cigarette? <laughs> I don't try to smoke them anymore. I try to be. Yeah. But yeah, that was the goal. Why I continued to do it. Yeah. And then um, one day the, the nicotine high left and then it became necessary. Just like drugs. Just like. 
because uh, the meth, it started off, oh, I'm in a party. I'm going to try this the first time. I just drank like five-year-old bong water and I ended up giggling in a closet for like three hours. I drank bong water and I was tweaking. So I was like, <laughs> and uh, I liked the way I felt. I always liked, I remember being two, drinking those beers, liking the way it made me feel because it changed the way I feel. I felt different. I felt more open to be myself. I thought I was definitely wrong because myself on who I am using is not the Saren that's sitting here now, you know, at all. Because I can do some pretty erratic things sober, but I can do them more erratic when I'm using. That's for darn sure. I can make a problem like this big go like pew. And you're like, well, how did that happen? I stepped in. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. The name sounds familiar because it is where my podcast studio is held. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. And since we can't get any of the local businesses to sponsor what we do here, I figure I'll sponsor the podcast. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet somewhere. I can do this in a basement somewhere. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery, and I can do this podcast. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. You know, we've had a lot of amazing success stories that keep me so filled with gratitude that I do this. We're here all day long, running meetings all day long because we want to help as many people as we can. And even when we help one, that's the biggest victory in the world. And that's how I feel right now. So if you can help out what we do here, then that would be amazing. You know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. That makes a lot of sense. So, because that escape, that first high, of even the cigarette high, you reminded me, like, I learned how to inhale with a black and mild. Oh, so, God. And I was in, I, I think I was 12, and I was, like, in the woods, you know what I mean? But, like, um, I learned how to inhale the black and mild, and I remember that, like, holy shit, that head high yeah. from the from the black and mild, you know, it was yeah. like, <laughs> like that. It gets all warm and my muscles relax and I'm like, Oh, the only time I can still get that head high from nicotine is if I like push myself not to smoke in the morning. Oh yeah. You know, you know what I mean? If I like, instead of having like my eight fifteen cigarette, you know, like when I wake up and like get my day going, if I like push it to like nine thirty ten, if I can make it to 11, Oh, yeah. like it, then I'm definitely going to be like, oh, loopy for like three minutes. <laughs> or like after work, when you haven't smoked all day, you're like, that, yeah, that's oh, what I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> usually it's like, you know, like my throat's hurting. Like, I, I don't even want to smoke this. <laughs> but here I am, fucking addict. That's why yeah. I say I'm a recovering addict, not in recovered, because I still have a lot of shit that I need to work on because I'm not fucking perfect. Um, <laughs> That's why I put down the weed because um, it, although I wasn't using it the way I did when I was full blown, I uh, found that I liked my mental faculties 
a lot better when I wasn't doling my senses, just even the tiniest bit, because I literally had a one hitter. Okay. I'd use that one hitter and that was it. And I'd only use what's in that one hitter and put it away. Well, I came to the point where, okay, let's try this on my own faculties with God and the power of the program. That's why I read 86 or 88 every single morning. It tells me what to do throughout the day. It literally tells me what to do. Have you, you ever know, checked out Courage to Change? No, uh, the, the song? <laughs> no, the, the book. Um, it's an Al-Anon daily book. And it's a book that um, they read in Al-Anon every day. It's like Al-Anon's Just for Today or Al-Anon's wow. Daily Meditations or whatever. Um, <clears throat> the cool thing is you'll learn even more, and especially now that you're back in recovery and you go to meetings again. Al-Anon, that book is important because we're constantly dealing with other addicts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't realize early on in recovery why Al-Anon would be important for addicts. Yeah. I thought it's for the families. No, you know, it's, for, it, yeah. it's And it's for the addicts, too, because we're the ones that are now sober dealing with these fucks. You yeah, know, but, <laughs> like we were the fucks. If you read an Al-Anon book to learn how to deal with yourself, that's going to help, too. I've heard that before, actually. My my AA sponsor, she's going to start Al-Anon very soon because she said, well, now I have this amount of time in the AA program. I need to go to Al-Anon. And I was like, why? And she goes, well, I'm, I deal with addicts and then I deal with myself. I was like, yeah. oh. Yeah, the self part's important too. Yeah. But it's it's also definitely because especially when you start sponsoring a bunch of people, you don't want to like cause yourself to do a relapse over somebody else's relapse or somebody else's like not paying attention or not following instructions or not following suggestions or whatever. When they're not paying attention, you get start getting frustrated with yourself and them, and that's when Al-Anon can be important too. But yeah, finding yourself is always important but yeah that's i think it's called courage to change um my one friend she reads it every morning and she she reads like you and yeah. you know she um she's an artist and when she stays you know comes through here she stays in my meeting center like sleeps on the couch and i'll come in in the morning and she'll have like five books in front of her and she'll be just going through and doing her daily journal and daily reading she doesn't like doing a step 10 at the end of the day. She likes doing her step 10 in the morning, you know, so like everyone's different on when they do their work. But the important thing is you do the work. Oh, yeah. Uh, I do step 10 every night, too. I actually uh, call my boyfriend's in Pennsylvania right now. Funny story. Oh, OK. He's doing a job in Manaka. And um, so every night he calls me and we read when we retire at night and then we both review our days. And uh, that helps me. I do have sober accountability partners, not just for step 10, but what are my motives? One of my friends, Elizabeth, when I'm going to do something like today, I'm supposed to go to a Halloween party. And she goes, well, what are your motives? Are you wanting to go there and get high? And I'm like, no, I don't really want to go. I kind of want to sleep because I worked all week, but I'm trying to be a supportive friend as well, you know? And I wasn't going to go. And then they sent me money because they were like, hold on. We need you to come. It's been a month since we've seen you, and we want to do a Bible study. Okay, well, my motives can be for that. You know, checking my motives, making sure the things that I'm doing are not going to be harmful to myself, you know? Yeah, definitely, because we were spending a lot of time harming ourselves. I mean, at 10, 11, when did it become, like, a problem for you? It became a problem 
almost like, instantly because my dad was like, no, you can't do these things. And the more he told me no, that means yes, I got to try more. You know what I mean? Because I'm a rebel without a clue. Yeah. Always have been. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was an instant problem because I was trying to deal with all of these things that had happened in my life and I didn't have a healthy outlet to do so. And I wasn't dealing with it. I was putting a Band-Aid on it. And I was making me worse and worse and worse until I finally exploded at the age of 28 is when the shit just hit the fan. I'm sitting there pregnant in a dope house. I'm on probation and I've got two kids in CPS and my back's against the wall. And I'm it's April 30th, 2018. And I'm like, I don't know what else to do. I have nothing. I live in the woods. I'm at the dope house right now. And my dope dealer goes, give me your dope. And I did. And she threw it away. And she goes, you don't belong here. You have a heart. You're not like the rest of the ones that come through here looking for my dope, trying to steal my stuff. You don't lie to me. You don't steal from me. You don't even look for my shit. You do what I give you. And that's weird. So you don't belong here. So she took my dope. She threw it away. And then she took me to where my dad was picking me up. And she waited for me to get in that truck before she left. I was like, what the hell? So after that, I started walking around and I was like, I don't know what today is, but today is the first day of the rest of my life. I have no idea where I'm going or what I'm doing. All I know is I got nothing and I got to do something because I've had four children, five children total, but I only got to keep one. So I've lost all these kids. I'm pregnant with another one and I just cannot stand the misery anymore. I cannot fathom losing another child i actually gave birth to my fourth child in jail i held that baby for two days and they put me in jail because i was messing around and i was eight months pregnant and they were like well we're doing this for not for you but for your kid and they put me in jail and i gave birth with shackles on i was shackled to a bed i held him for two days they took him and my aunt took him she was raised my two boys that i lost since they were babies And it wasn't just addiction. It was also a domestic violence. I was not only entrenched into the habit, but entrenched into the habit of the life and the people that went along with it. And um, at the very end, I decided to go to this rehab and I spent 56 days there and I hit the ground running. Went to four meetings a day till I got a job and then I was still hitting three. Did not care. I was like, I don't know what else to do. So I'm just going to do this thing. And I kept going until I'm here now in my own house that I can pay for with my job that I do the best at. And I'm the one, you know, instead of the five in my position, I'm the one. Me, an addict, a hopeless dope fiend. I have things that I've never had before in my life, but mostly I have a sense of who I am and a peace about who I am instead of looking in the mirror going I fucking hate your guts let's go kill myself a little bit by getting high I'm like hey today's a new day I get to start a new there's just so many differences now yes so because now because you had said you were molested growing up was that like from my mom's boyfriend my my uncle your uncle yeah, he liked little blonde girls, and I was a little blonde girl. And uh, then you were in a relationship also in your 20s. Were you married? I was not some... married. But you guys had kids. We had three children, yes. You had three, and he was violent. 
it was very violent. Very, but me- very but methy violent or drinking violent or just violent violent? All of it. So That's when he was meth, it was way worse. When he was drinking, it wasn't as bad as when he had been up for several days. And then when he was sober, he still had tendencies. Yeah, because the meth would be delirium violence. And then, you know, drinking would be the, like, alcohol-induced violence where it's yeah. pure anger. Yeah. And then sober anger is confused anger. Cause, yeah. Because you, know, you don't know where it's oh, yeah. coming from at that point. You know, um, so, you know, I hate to say, like, I'm sorry, but, like, you know. <laughs> I'm glad it happened because it broke my ego. Yeah. Like, I read this one. This one's probably one of the most important tools in my arsenal. It's okay. Eckhart Tolle, A New Earth. It's recognizing the ego and how it crops up and all of its forms and how to deal with it. Amazing, because that's one of our biggest problems is drugs and alcohol are but a symptom of our disease. Okay, the real were, problem right here. They were the right solution here. to our problems. Yeah, they were the solution that wasn't a really good solution. If anything, it amplified our problems like a thousandfold. Well, we're but, addicts. We thought we knew all of our answers. You can't tell us the answers. We know the answers. We are the smartest person we know. What the fuck are you talking about? Okay. You, before you got sober, you know that you were the smartest person you knew. Yeah. That's what happens. Like when we're in addiction, we are the smartest person we know. We are the best therapist we know. We're the best pharmacist we know. We're the best doctor we know. We are the best thief we know. Our ego is a fucking worst. But yet, ironically, we know that we're pieces of shit. We know that we don't want to die. We know that we don't want to live this way. So it's just so ironic that we are both sides of the spectrum when in active addiction. One minute, your ego is through the roof. And the next minute, your ego is completely drowning. And the difference is withdrawals. Let's be honest. Your ego is through the roof when you're high. When you're not high, your ego is not high. Yeah, I'm I'm 100 feet tall and bulletproof when I'm on some dope, man. Yeah, but... But fucking keeled over, you know, in the fetal position in bed, withdrawn, your oh. ego isn't that big. <laughs> no, it's not. Like, the things that happened in my life broke my ego into such a submission that I finally became willing to allow other things in to fill that negative void. I started really being able to look at myself, getting a sponsor, really working the steps. And it's taken like... I've done a, I don't know how many times I've done AA steps, but it's taken all of those times and I can look through and see the progression of my own self. Each time I put more detail, more thought, it gets, there's more in the book. It says more will be revealed. And it is, it is definitely way more revealed now that I have yeah. gone through, sifted through the ego and come out of the delusion of self. Yeah, yeah, once you once you try to once you try to stop being the director and the actor and the writer and the producer and the the everything and just let shit happen and just trust that things will happen. You know, did you yeah. meet your boyfriend in recovery? I did. I did. How I long in the recovery did you meet him? So I actually met him in 2017 when I was just trying to do meetings and stuff like that, and I was actually with the father of my last three children but we were only friends and then my he went to jail and I waited for him 
during that year he was gone, I waited for him because I was going to go back to him. No, I didn't. But uh, I had gotten enough recovery in me to where I began to love myself and was like, I don't deserve that, you know? So I broke up with him when he got out of jail. I was like, I, I don't want to do this. And uh, I had become friends with my boyfriend, who is Eric. And uh, we got so close in working these steps and all of that together that we ended up dating. And it's been off and on for us because we both had to grow and mature. Like we were together for like 10 months and then we broke up and then we got back together and then we broke up completely. And he went on to date a girl who is a total psycho. And I ended up getting married to a guy. It just didn't work out. <laughs> and then when both of those things fell, we found each other again and we were on different footing. We realized what we didn't want to deal with in other people and what we had actually had together was way stronger and so we do recovery things. We meditate. We go to conventions. Like we we get in our book every morning. We send each other texts out of these books every morning. We read a few pages and we find the most meaningful line and we send it to each other. That's awesome. Yeah, like, it's yeah. a lot better when you can do this with your partner. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I I know it firsthand. You know that's why I asked because you know my wife and I we have this meeting center together where we run meetings here every day and you know she has ms so there's some days that she can't make it out of the house to come do meetings and you know so i run some of the more meetings and then we're we do some of them virtually so she can attend too from home sometimes but you know having and then both of our sober dates are 229 together nice so we both have the same sober date so and it's a very unique date as it's you know leap day is, yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't really hear of people with leap day as a ser- as a sober date. So, you know, it's definitely a lot better when you have a partner in this and not just a sponsor, because, you know. When you have a sponsor, you know exactly how it was when you relapsed, I'm sure, like when you stop reaching out to your sponsor, you start relapsing before you relapse. Yeah, you, do. you know. You, you relapse in your head way before you actually put a pipe or put a pill or put a whatever in your system. Mm-hmm. And if you're with your partner, as in your fiance, boyfriend, wife, girlfriend, whatever you want to call them, when you're with your partner, they can call you on your shit faster. They can see you relapse and be like, hey, what are you doing with your head? Yeah, and we <laughs> do that. Like, are, are you okay right now? Because he had gone off, or he had gotten COVID earlier this year. And he was really sick, and he was starting to get sick in the head, too. And I was like, hon, I think you need a meeting. You know what I mean? And just little things like that, like we can see each other. And um, it's really beneficial to have a partner in the program because I don't want to use when I'm with him, you know? And yeah. he doesn't want to use when he's with me, either, because we both want to see each other continuously do good, that we don't want to do those things and jeopardize the other person, either. Because that's, you know? that's what it is, because, yeah. you know, we we are living stigmas, Saren. Whether yeah. it's in addiction or in sobriety, we are living stigmas because it is a stigma to be in a relationship with somebody you are in recovery with yeah. because of what you just said of, you know, yeah, it's great to have the support when it's good, but what yeah. happens when it's bad? Oh, and then, yeah. And then one of you decides... I can't do this anymore. And then the other one says, well, if you're out, I'm, I'm out. out. Yeah. 
And he had had that experience with the girl that he broke up with when we broke up, and he had already had that experience. He'd already had it. Yeah, I found it. (laughs) You have to make sure that you catch that person before it happens. Because if you were to not catch them, but like if they were to even to be be honest, be like, hey, sorry, but like, you know, I relapsed yesterday. Now you have to make the decision. Do I relapse with him because he relapsed? You know what I mean? Or do I try to get him back on the right track? And it'll all depend on what your mental state and how you take it. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like if my wife ever said to me, I'm sorry, but I drank last night. I then have to decide, do I now drink or do I make sure that she doesn't drink again? Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's why it's like a stigma. You have to be extremely self-aware. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my whole relationship this year, which is so funny because I'm an addict. I'm undisciplined. And we come into a discipline. We let God discipline us in the simple way laid out in this program. You know what I mean? So one of those uh, things that I started this year was awareness, becoming mm-hmm. more aware. And I've actually stuck with it. I was like, what? I'm sticking to New Year's resolutions. What is that? Because, you know, everybody says, oh, I'm going to quit doing this, quit doing that. Well, this year I wasn't going to quit anything. I was going to add some awareness. Yeah. And it's coming to play so many times and it's such a really broad topic actually because awareness stems so much deeper than self this episode is sponsored by mj's progress not perfection meeting center association the name sounds familiar because it is where my podcast studio is held we are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction and since we can't get any of the local businesses to sponsor what we do here i figure i'll sponsor the podcast i can do this podcast anywhere i can do this at home i can do this in a closet somewhere i can do this in a basement somewhere it doesn't matter all i need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery and i can do this podcast what i can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems you know we've had a lot of amazing success stories that keep me so filled with gratitude that I do this. We're here all day long, running meetings all day long because we want to help as many people as we can. And even when we help one, that's the biggest victory in the world. And that's how I feel right now. So if you can help out what we do here, then that would be amazing. You know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a... Did you really, like, how should I put this? When you're getting into drugs in, like, teenage years, right? But when is it, like, become, like, in your 20s? Was it when you met your ex-husband that, like, it became, like, a full-blown, every day, this is my life, revolved around it? Yeah, when I was about 25, uh, I left the state of Pennsylvania. I had gotten in some trouble, and I was like, I should not even be in trouble right now. I got really drunk. Like, nothing bad really happened. And they gave me charges for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon because I was so drunk that we thought we were ghosts. And we have this little matching scar, me and the girl, on my arm. I don't know if you can see that, but 
there's a, there's a, we had the same scar. We were you so dead. You can send me a picture. Yeah, we thought we were so dead because um, we, I was I was already full blown drinking at this point like every day. So it's alcohol like, is your big problem then? Oh yeah, it was a huge problem, huge problem. And uh, I got into some trouble, and I said, no, I'm not doing this. So I, I left. I left the state of Pennsylvania, and I came to the state of Texas because I didn't feel like I should be in trouble. I was like, no, this is bullshit. I didn't assault anybody. I'm gone, you know? Are you so born thought, and raised Pennsylvania? No, I was born and raised in Texas mostly. Okay. I mean, I've lived in Kentucky, Nebraska, Missouri, Iowa, North Carolina, uh, Pennsylvania, Florida. I've lived all over from like the Midwest over, you know, and I've gone and traveled and done all of those things. I just With had made your ex. Uh, no, that was by myself. Cause I was kind of a wandering little, uh, I was a hitchhiker. I was running from myself for a very long time. Unfortunately, you can't run from yourself. No matter where you go, you show up. And, um, so I could run all these places and be like, I have different faces, different friends. No, they were still the same people, just in a different body. I'm still attracting the same things, no matter where I went. So I was very drunk for a long time, and I came back to Texas, and I ended up um, getting back in contact with her dad because I had known him. I've known him for I don't know. I met him when I was a younger kid, and then we rekindled the friendship in my 20s, and I didn't date him until I was almost 26. So, uh, when I got with him, uh, he did meth all the time, all the time. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do it all the time too. And we went on a crime spree for years after that. And I'd be barefoot, pregnant, messed out in the woods, stealing shit. It what was are you bad. from the woods? Generators, campers, four wheelers, <laughs> leave oh. a tool and get it. It was construction. They were building this new, uh, subdivision and, uh, we made it hard for them to build. Let's just say that much. Gotcha. And we'd go through, we'd tear shit up, burn shit down, and steal it all. And then we'd go to the dope house and trade it. So it really became uh, an obsession of a lifestyle. I got into the crime. I got into the drugs. And we were in it all the time. That was how I was able to spend time with him. Otherwise, he didn't want to be around me. You know? I didn't realize he really didn't love me until I got sober and realized how he was treating me and was like, wait a minute, if you love somebody, you don't do those things, you know? And I really did love him. I loved him very much. And that's you how I- You had three kids with him. Yeah. When did you have three kids with him? How okay. old were you? I gave birth to our first child when I was 26, um, our second child when I was 27, and our third child when I was 28. Okay, so you were legitimately pregnant almost the entire time. Uh-huh. Like you would have a baby and then get pregnant again. Yeah. And those were your last three out of the five that you have. Yes. And you the first, the first two, the first two you have, your aunt has. No, the first two children I have are still in the state of Pennsylvania. They're with okay. their dad and their grandmother. That's when my disease hadn't quite taken hold yet. Um, there were. I'm a loudmouth Southerner, and I went up there to, to this Yankee lady's house, for lack of a better term, and she couldn't stand the word, the F word, the fart word. <laughs> you could say fuck all day, but if you said fart, she'd freak out. Ah, that's so unladylike. So we had a lot, a big cultural difference as well, and uh, I'm like, fuck you, and, you know, 
He's like, no. And uh, so we got in a huge fight and I ended up leaving there, but I stayed around Pennsylvania for a while trying to co-parent with, with him and my children until I got in that trouble. And then I was like, I got to go. And when I left, they filed abandonment charges on me and I haven't seen my children in almost seven years. I still reach out to their grandma. They won't let me talk to them until they are of age so that they are not disrupted. And I have to honor that and I have to respect that even if I don't want to. But yeah. they're the ones who are taking care of my children, not me. I'm the yeah. one who in fear. Fear is a deep and evil corroding thread that has led me to do a lot of retarded things. Um, drugs, alcohol, actions, being on the run, all of those I was going to say, literally, you know, fear, I love acronyms. And fear, you know, you especially, you get as much as I do. We lived in a bunch of different fucking... We both have lived in more states than we have fingers for on a fucking hand, you know, and so but fear to me was fuck everything and run. Mm -hmm. Me too. You know, that was fear. And now it's face everything and recover. Um, Appearing real. I lived in that delusion for so long that it was fuck everything and run, you know. Yep. Yeah. But false. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's it, that's what I was doing. It was North Carolina. It was Massachusetts back and forth a bunch of times. You know what I mean? Anywhere I could go that I thought, oh, I'll be safe here. And then, like you said, I show up with myself and then I realize that, I, oh, yeah, I'm the problem. It's not everybody else. It's me. Yes. Yes. It's me. So, OK, now that I have the kids and now your three kids, they're with your aunt. Uh, two, the, she adopted the two boys cause I had two boys with the last guy. And then my little girl, she's in my, in her room over there and she's asleep in her little big girl bed. And she has an Elsa room. And so I lost those two boys. I was on, I'm on probation, but, uh, something happened uh, uh, April 30th, 2018. There was a major turning point in my life because I was so broken down from all of the things I'd spent years getting my face. My nose has been broken six times. I don't know if you can see, but it just keeps going back into place. I've never had any type of surgery on it or anything like that. I'd had so many broken bones. I'd had so much broken ego, so much pride. I had no self-worth, nothing at all. I was a broken shell of a person. April 30th, 2018. And when I stepped out into the unknown, which was recovery, I didn't know if I was going to fall flat on my ass or get caught. And God caught me. He caught me. And I started doing these things and I started realizing that I could do something. And the first thing that I finished was rehab. And I was like, hold on, I completed something. Oh my gosh, I completed something. You know, because I hadn't completed anything in years. I'd start a project and quit. And I'd have many of those. That's called being a tweaker. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I started finishing things. And a big motivation was I was pregnant with baby number five. And I just couldn't lose any more children. I knew that if I lost any more children, I was not going to come back from it. I was not. After having that baby in jail, I was very angry in jail. And I'm surprised they let me out without any more charges. Because I beat the brakes off of you bitches. Don't touch my food. I got you. Like, it was not good. I sent a few to the hospital. 
I was very angry. It just wasn't pretty. So I was, I was at that point of the bottom, very bottom. There was nowhere to go. I didn't have shit. I had a bunch of problems, no solution and no way out. So I stepped out into this unknown with this baby in my belly. And I was like, okay, I'm going to sit here. And I finished the rehab. And then I went to a shelter and I got a job and then I got a roommate and I bought a car and I was really doing this thing, you know, I was like, Hey, this is different. I had to find new ways to have fun because my fun was get high and go do something. But my, my fun was always waiting for the dope man. So I could go have fun. And all of that changed. And then I was like, okay, hold on. I can just get up and go have fun now. But that I had to learn. I had to learn all sorts of new things. It didn't just happen. And I'm really grateful for that because that little girl in there, she saved my life. You know, she's almost three years old. I've never raised a child by myself this long. I've always lost them at the gate, you know, like just lost them because I, I was I wasn't fit to be a parent before. Anyway, I was not OK. Yeah. What I was doing was so self-destructive and anyone and everyone around me was catching fire with me. Like I never wanted to get high alone. So I'd whip out lines, huge, like you're about to do this fat motherfucker with me in one swoop. And if they couldn't finish it, I took it, took it back. You know what I mean? They're like, how do you do that shit? I'm like one nostril, two nostril, you know? And it'd be like really long and really fat. And they're like, get you crazy. When the dope heads are telling you you're doing too much, yeah. There's a problem, you know? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. you're still me. And I'm like, cool, let's do some more, you know? Like, I was boss to the wall. A Texas thing is go big or go home. Yep. Oh, yeah, you got to check this book out. A New Earth, Eckhart Tolle. Oh, my gosh. When you re- Oh, there's my kid. She's awake. But yeah. when, you're, when, you, when you really realize how your ego shows up and where it shows up and the different manifestations of it all, and you became, you become aware of it, then the yep. ego starts to die. Yeah. Because ego can't thrive in awareness. Well, thank you so much, Siren, for taking the time to sit down. I know you gotta, you know, be on mama yeah. duty now. But I oh, appreciate yeah. you sitting down and talking, talking about your story and everything like that. Like your progress is amazing where you're at right now. Like keep doing what you're doing. Um, I'll let you know when this gets posted. It'll be Tuesday. So okay. If you could just like share the link when it gets posted on your page so your friends can see it and watch your story, you know, because usually my people will go watch it, my regular listeners, but I want your friends and family to see like, oh my God, look at her. She's killing it. Listen yeah. to how she's talking now. You know what I mean? So I'll shoot you over the link when it's all ready and everything like that. Okay, so, cool. but I'll let you go pull Mama Duty right now. And yeah. awesome. Thank you so much and keep doing what you're doing. Obviously, it's working. Yes, thank you. (laughs) See you later. See ya, you have a great day. All right, you too, bye-bye.